Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In these Gurus editions, we'll feature strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, recovery scientists, and other performance specialists who help athletes to be their best. In this two-part episode, we talk with Rachel Balkovic, who became the first female manager in minor league baseball when the New York Yankees appointed her skipper of their low-A affiliate, the Tampa Tarpons. Rachel is a bilingual, former collegiate catcher with two master's degrees in biomechanics, who has been a strength and conditioning coach and hitting coach at various levels of baseball since 2014. She is a student of the game who is passionate about helping her players improve, and she's still an athlete herself with an affinity for barbell work, beach volleyball, and walking on her hands. Rachel is also my friend. I am inspired by her, and I am thrilled to have her on Food of the Gods to share her incredible story. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm busy getting set up here in Tampa. It's so nice to actually uh, see your face. I know. I, I mean, you know, this Zoom thing has made us all more available face-to-face. <laughs> so you just arrived back in Tampa from California? Yes, I made the drive 2,600 miles from Santa Barbara, California to Tampa. So two lovely places to be. Getting ready to start your new job as the first female manager in affiliated baseball with the Tampa Tarpons. This is super exciting. I know for you and for everyone in the baseball world and certainly for every woman who's ever been a baseball fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I It's interesting. I really, it just felt like a normal promotion, which is pretty <laughs> cool. You know, it's like, it's cool to, to be honest with you, the backstory. So this is like uh, some inside information for the listeners, but we didn't even tell any media people. We just, you know, uh, Kevin Reese offered me the job and I accepted and signed a contract like any other, other coach would and went about our daily lives. And then finally I went to a conference a couple weekends ago and I started telling people and they said, well, where are you going to be? And I would tell them and they would just lose their minds. And I was like, Oh, I better tell some of the media. Cause I feel like this is going to be a bigger thing than we thought, but it was pretty cool because, you know, it felt normal to me. It didn't even feel like a big deal, which is what, you know, you want is it to be just normal. So maybe not normal to the public, but to me, it felt very normal. It's funny, full disclosure also for the listeners, Rachel and I met back in 2014 when I was working for MLB and she became a strength and conditioning coach for the Cardinals. And I had the privilege of doing a story on her and meeting her and hanging out with her and lifting weights with her. So we've known each other for a while and she sent me a text uh, you know, weeks ago now and said, I'm going to be managing a minor league team. And I was like, wait, what? But it hadn't <laughs> come out yet. And I'm not really working for a news outlet now. And I was like, well, I'm not going to tweet that and spill the beans. And I just sort of kept waiting to see when it would come out because I knew it would definitely hit like a bomb and I was super excited and I couldn't wait to see it hit like a bomb. It's awesome. And by the way, last little tidbit, I just want to say for the record that Lindsay was like the only person who did a news story of me in 2014. And I think it's funny, just it reminds me of the stark contrast of what was going on then and what's going on now where, I mean, you did a a small interview, it probably got like 2000 views and people were like, yeah, who cares? Women, you know, <laughs> like now it's just the celebration surrounding women is just in sports is just, it's incomprehensible how much it's grown since 2014. I know, you know? it's really crazy. 
I know 2014 doesn't seem like that long ago, but this has not been a short or easy road for you. So can you give us kind of your baseball timeline I, in, in a nutshell? I know it's, it's hard to condense it, but just tell us how you got here. Okay, so everyone buckle up. It's probably going to be about, <laughs> about five minutes, but I'll try to make it short. But basically, I you know played softball growing up and was a college softball player like yourself. Didn't have a spectacular career. In fact, my career ended from the yips. I could not throw back to the pitcher as a catcher and had major, major performance anxiety, which uh, was not being talked about then. You know, mental health was not a discussion at that time. So anyway, regardless of my lackluster career in college, I went on to be a strength and conditioning coach. I did a graduate assistantship at LSU. I worked with six different teams, including baseball and softball. And it was really, that was really the foundation of my career in coaching where it was just this electric environment and winning was the only option for like every sport. I mean, baseball and softball were both in the college world series when I was there. Uh, football was in the national championship against Alabama and lost. Let's just be clear. And the, <laughs> like both of the tennis teams I worked with were top 25 women's basketball, sweet 16. It just was like, I was in six different elite level cultures in one little bubble of LSU. So it was a great foundation for my career. Long story short from there on, I went on and did, an internship with the St. Louis Cardinals at the end of the internship. They didn't have a full-time job. That's how internships go. So I moved on. I actually spent a year out of baseball. I did an internship at Arizona State with baseball and softball, an internship with the White Sox. I got hired back full-time with the Cardinals in 2014. We can zoom in on that little time period if you want. I'll come back to it. I was there for two more years. Then I was with the Astros for three seasons as a Latin American strength and conditioning coordinator and then a double-A strength coach. Then a very long story short, I went back to school uh, for a second master's degree. I studied eye tracking for hitters and did my research at Driveline in Seattle. While I was at Driveline, the Yankees hired me as a minor league hitting coach. I was in that role for two years, and then they just approached me to be a manager this year. So I'll be a manager for the low A Tampa Tarpons. Do you want me to zoom in on a few of those things? I'll ask you some. I, I do want to point out that I am very upset with the merchandising opportunities for the Tampa Tarpons. You have to kick them in the butt so I can buy a cap. That should be your first order friend. of business. I know. I showed my friend the picture of the hat. She said, that definitely is an IUD. And I thought, well, I mean, I'm just going to get a sponsorship with an IUD company because that's what I was going to, I mean, just lean this into is, it. This is lean all color. It. They have this weird fish hook logo. That's maybe not the best, but you know, okay. Go, so, lean into it. When you were a little girl, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? Well, the first thing I thought I would be is, uh, I want to say the first female kicker in the NFL. So I oh, actually okay. said, yes, I, in fourth grade, we did the, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up assignment? And I said, I wanted to be the first female kicker in the NFL. And I, I said, I wanted to be the first. I don't know why I said that, but it was, it said, I want to be the first female. And I just think back to the time, like, what were my influences? So I guess Serena and Venus Williams were out there being athletes and I was paying attention to them and Brandy Chastain had just ripped her shirt off in the 1999 World Cup. And I was seeing finally, you know, some female athletes on television. And I just thought, I really think my path was going to be in sports. And um, that was kind of the whole way through. So you right away, I was going to ask you if you envisioned yourself breaking barriers, you kind of by accident did like totally did. Yeah, really. Yeah. Was there a person who influenced your career the most, especially was there someone who inspired you to go into baseball? Well, I was, what happened uh, with baseball was, because I, I always thought, you know, as a college softball player, I thought, wow, this game's really slow, you know, like, what's wrong with you people? 
but I, I didn't fully understand the art of it, you know? And so I more or less got into my master's degree at LSU. And a lot of my friends from college baseball had been drafted and were playing in the minor league system. And like many people, like many even fans, I had no idea how extensive the minor league system was. I had no idea about Latin America. I had no idea about the six, seven year journey that they go on and eating hot dogs before the game and training in the local YMCA in wherever Iowa. I just didn't know what they had to go through. And I just became so fascinated actually with player development. So the minor league system. So that's when I really said I wanted to get into baseball. It wasn't necessarily, oh, I'm a super fan of the Yankees. So I want to work for the Yankees. That was never really the reason. It was always kind of the business, the journey, just the full operation of professional baseball, you know, with minor leagues included. So at that point, you'd already kind of gone down the strength and conditioning road? Yep. I was already in my graduate assistantship at LSU as a strength and conditioning coach. And I didn't really have any plans of doing anything else. I thought strength and conditioning was going to be the career. And I just had an actual passion. I thought, well, I can get into professional baseball and make it better because I was at the pinnacle of the SEC and I was seeing, you know, my friends were talking about eating those hot dogs before the game. And I thought, how can that be happening? I have to get in there and make a difference. So that was kind of the initial thought. So I do want you to tell the story about applying for jobs to work in baseball and about how you had to change your name, because I want folks to understand just how difficult it was to get people to even just acknowledge your application and take your phone calls. I really think in this day and age, it's really easy to forget that only 10 years ago, it was a whole different landscape for women. Just to kind of set the scene, you know, there were no nutritionists, there were no mental skills coaches, there were no analysts around. So opportunities for women were very few and far between because it was only coaches and athletic trainers and strength coaches around the players. It wasn't this whole support staff around. So when I first, first said to my boss, yeah, I want to work in professional baseball, I started kind of looking for jobs and I saw all these names that were, you know, men's names. And I thought, well, where are all the women? You know, because I was working in college sports and there's plenty of women running around in every role in those sports. So I walk over to my, my boss's office and I said, hey, Mel, do you know if there are any women working in professional baseball? And she just laughed so hard. And she was like, <laughs> there's no women working as a strength coach in any men's professional sport. And me being who I am, I was like, oh, okay. Went right back to the applying for jobs. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm qualified. I played softball. I'm at LSU working with baseball and softball. I've had other internships. Lo and behold, a lot, very long story short, um, I did get an internship with the Cardinals, but then in 2013, I applied for a bunch of other internships, you know, to continue to build my resume and I applied for eight, about eight to 10 and got no responses at all. And I thought, wow, these jobs are so competitive. My resume was really great for a 24 year old uh, young person. So I thought, wow, these jobs are really competitive and just didn't even get an email back. Nothing. It was just crickets. So middle of spring training, someone called and uh, he said, you know, we'd like to interview you. One of our coaches just quit. Are you still local in the Phoenix area is where I was? And I said, yeah. So I went and go, I went to go interview, interviewed twice with him. Everything went great. He said, great. You know, you're the person we want. I'll call you tomorrow. We're going to start the paperwork. I'm like, okay. And then he ghosted me. And I was like, well, that's weird. Cause he said, you know, it's like he verbally offered him a job. I never heard from him. So like three weeks later, I get a call from him and he said, Hey, I'm really sorry to be the bear of bad news, but I wanted to hire you. I brought it to administration and they said, we're, we weren't going to hire a woman. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like that's illegal, you know, <laughs> <In my> mind, <laughs> but, but he was just so, he was so apologetic. And he was like, he's like, I'm so sorry. Like I'm telling, I want just want you to know what you're up against. And 
he was like, it gets worse. The reason why it took me so long to call you back is because I was trying to get a hold of other teams to help you out. And they all had gotten your resume and said the same thing. And so not only was it one team, it was 10 teams, you know, and that was the scene that was totally acceptable for him to go. Oh yeah. We're our administration just said, you know, we're not going to hire a woman. So I sat that year out, I waitressed, and then I picked up an internship at Arizona State in Phoenix and just to keep my resume fresh. So I'd go there in the morning from like 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. and work a couple teams and then go waitress and wait tables. And uh, fast forward about the summertime, I'm getting my resume fixed up and I'm like, well, I'm just worried that they're not even going to look at my resume when they see my name at the top. So I, you know, I was talking to my sister and she said, well, why don't you change your name to Ray? And I was like, no, I can't, you know, I can't do that. Like what? I I can't lie on my resume. And I went ahead and changed it. I thought, well, that's actually a pretty good idea. I'm just curious to see who's going to get back to me. So I changed it to Ray, R-A-E. I changed it on my email, on my Facebook. I thought, well, if they look me up, I can like pretend like it's my nickname, you know? So it's still on there on my Facebook because I haven't been on Facebook in 10 years. But anyway, I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I changed it everywhere. And lo and behold, as soon as I started sending my resume out, it was like instant responses from email responses from a lot of people. And finally, I got um, to set up interviews. So I would respond back. And, you know, finally, about a week or so in, I got a phone call from somebody asking for Ray. And I was like, uh, I was like, this is she, you know? And um, he just kind of, Uh, there was an audible shuffling of the papers and he said, Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I said your name correctly. And I I thought, well, there's only one way to say Ray. So, you know, you must've thought I was a man. So anyway, (laughs) it turns out like that was a very awkward conversation. He never called me back obviously. And I just, after a very short amount of time, I just unfortunately was like, well, you know what? I should just change it back because if somebody doesn't want to hire a woman that's qualified, I probably don't want to work for that jackass anyway. You know, it's like, I just got to be myself. Literally, I just was so desperate at that time that I thought, well, maybe if they get on the phone with me, they'll realize that I have some kind of value. And it's like, well, really, that wouldn't change the fact that I have boobs. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) So anyway, I did end up changing it back. And I really got nothing that whole off season. So much so that I was planning on doing another internship in Boston with Cressy. And then at the last hour, the Cardinals called back and said, hey, our coordinator has moved on. Would you be interested in uh, interviewing? So again, to give some context, it's like I couldn't even get a call for a call. I couldn't even get a call, let alone an interview. I couldn't even get a call for an internship position of like a $1,200 stipend a month to be a minor league strength coach. And the Cardinals, who I had already worked for and seen my work, called me back and interviewed and ended up hiring me as their minor league strength and conditioning coordinator overseeing 10 male strength coaches, 200 athletes, assisting with all the major league operations. It was a huge job. So I was qualified, you know, but I just wasn't, you know, just took, took that one team and all the credit to the Cardinals for being open-minded to do that. So that was the long story of 2013, you know, and it's worked out okay. So that 2014 season with the Cardinals, I think, was when I got to come down and see you and do the story with you. And I remember walking into that weight room and you were just kind of walking around, 
fixing people's form on the squat rack and bantering with everybody. And it looked like you had just a, a really good rapport with the guys you were working with. I'm wondering if that was instantaneous or if it took some work, were they okay with it when you walked in or was there an acclimatization process for them and for you? I always felt really natural. I never felt weird working with men ever. I can't really remember a time of feeling uncomfortable, um, especially because I already worked with so many men before I even got to the professional baseball. But I think for the players, each time I join an organization, there's a little like buffering period where it's like, okay, what's, you know, like, what is this girl going to be like? Do I have to change what I say? Do I have to change how I act? Do I, you know, all those things. And really quickly, it just falls away, you know, because as soon as they figure out that they can, oh no, cuss in front of me. Like, you know, <laughs> as soon as they figure out they can be themselves and they don't have to tiptoe around me, uh, worry about offending me. And also as soon as they know that I care, I'm consistent, I work hard, I know what I'm talking about. They don't care. They're like, can you help me get to the big leagues? Great. Like, I don't care. You know, so they just, they just let it go. And so I think it's just always comes down to building relationships. And I think all of us can think of plenty of, male, you know, business people or coaches or what people in leadership that we don't respect, you know, men don't get respect sometimes. So I don't know why it's so impossible to understand that a woman could get respect. So yeah, it's always a little, you know, there's a little curiosity, but that's normal. It's different. I think when you say once they realize you care, I think that was one of the things that jumped out at me right away. You had so many young Latin kids in the Cardinal system that barely spoke a word of English. And now you guys, Rachel is from Omaha, Nebraska. She did not grow up speaking Spanish in any way, shape or form. And in order to help these guys basically taught herself Spanish. And I remember in the weight room with the Cardinals in Florida, she had this big poster of Yadier Molina, the Cardinals big league catcher, many, many time all-star. I think he's still one of the best catchers in baseball up on the wall. And she had these little like, I don't remember if they were magnets or pins or whatever, but with the body parts and she would make the Latin kids come up and pin the tail on Yachty, but put knee and shoulder and head. So she could basically, you know, spot them and say, move your hips back and whatever. And they would know what she was saying, but she took it on upon herself to kind of teach these kids Spanish and would go to the grocery stores with them and help them shop and teach them how to eat. So it was obvious to me after being there for 12 minutes that she cared. So I could imagine that the guys really realized right away. But Rachel, I did want to ask you after that long-winded diatribe, what was it that it inspired you to teach yourself the Spanish and, and how did you do it? Well, <laughs> like many things, it was kind of out of necessity. The first day I showed up, I had walked straight out of LSU's weight room, you know, into extended spring training. So that means there was 95% Latin players who they've never even heard of LSU, right? The college like athlete warrior mentality is really not present with Latin American players all the time because they just don't grow up with that. So I just really had a difficult time. My very first day, it's like I set up the cones, my cones are perfectly straight. You know, I had, <laughs> it's like, everything's perfect. And I was like calling out the stretch and they kind of were just not listening, not finishing through the cone, not doing. And I was like, I was so frustrated and I was trying to coach them or whatever. And I couldn't get through to them and they could easily pretend like they didn't understand what I was asking them to do. So I just, I was like, oh, okay. Okay. You're not going to listen to what I'm going to say. Next day I showed up and I had a paper that helped me like get through the stretch in Spanish. 
So it started out with like, I have to be able to communicate with these players, you know, both so I literally can just tell them what I want them to do, but also so they can't slide through the cracks. You know, some of these guys need a little push, but so not just Latin American players, all players, you know, they need a little push. And if you can't communicate with them in their language, it's very hard to do that. So it's really, especially when you got to have tough conversations with people to be able to communicate in their own language is vital. Otherwise, you just don't have that conversation and then it never gets had and then you can't hold people accountable. So it really was a necessity. And also just as I started to learn, it became so fun because it was a connecting point and it was me being vulnerable. I would say stupid stuff and funny stuff and they can coach me and they're, they're laughing at me. And just, it was really ideal to really, you know, firm up our relationships. That's really cool. And then you end up leaving the Cardinals and joining the Astros as their Latin American coordinator and spending a bunch of time in the Dominican Republic, which I imagine made you so much better at Spanish. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was and just better in life. You know, I yeah. spent a lot of time in a country like that and just understand where they come from. It just changes your perspective on how you teach them and what you teach them and why it's important. So talk a little bit about that. I think a lot of people, you said you, you didn't even know much about the minor league system in uh, the United States. And I think general listeners don't, but how different the Latin American process is and, and how important it is for these kids. So many of them are really looking this like at baseball as kind of a means of survival, not just for them, but also for their families. It, it means so much to these kids. It's as if, I mean, just imagine that, okay, we have the MLB. Just imagine that the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and the MLS didn't exist. Those sports weren't a thing. Imagine you didn't even know the rules to football. Imagine you didn't, baseball is it. It's it for them. And it's just a really, it's an honor. Like they feel so honored to have the opportunity. And as you mentioned, sometimes it's a necessity for them because they need to make money. And some families view it as their ticket off the island. You know, it's it's a romantic thing, but it's also a sad thing in some ways. You know, I have three degrees and I grew up in a home where college wasn't even an option. It was a, you're going to college. And I look at these kids and a lot of them don't even graduate high school before they join us. So it's really on us in professional baseball to be their family, their parents, their caretakers, their teachers, all of this stuff. So it's, Baseball is just everything to them. Um, it's a vehicle for success and wealth for them um, and sometimes wealth of their families. So what did, I mean, they obviously probably learned so much from you, but what did you learn from coaching in that environment? I always say, if you're going to go coach in the Dominican Republic, it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. And it's also the most rewarding thing you're ever going to do in your life. And it's just, I think seeing again, just if you really go there and, go to their homes, you know, visit their families and see where they came up with a tin roof and a dirt floor and a light bulb, one light bulb for the house and bars on the windows. Like if you really go into their neighborhoods and learn where they come from, you just become a lot more empathetic and understanding of some of the things that might arise, some of the behaviors and attitudes that might arise, um, especially when things go wrong. Like I said, if things get tough for them, it's like there's an intense fear of going back where they came from. So that means that they're not, sometimes they're not as willing to change. They're not as willing to fail. They're not as willing to do those things because that means if they fail one day, they go, I'm going to get released. So I think there's kind of uh, breaking that fear and welcoming them into a family and understanding the process and understanding how to fail and own their failure and be, and use it for growth and all those concepts. It just, 
wow, it's a really, I wish everyone could do it. Honestly, I wish everyone could have that experience. It's really cool. At that point, you were already a strength coach. You had a bachelor's degree in kinesiology and exercise science. You already had one master's. You then made the decision to go back to school in the Netherlands across the ocean in Europe for a second master's degree in in biomechanics. What motivated that decision? I knew I wanted to leave strength and conditioning and I wasn't sure exactly what I would be doing after that. I thought possibly scouting, possibly on-field coaching. And it was kind of just a transition year, a sabbatical year, if you will. And it definitely wasn't a sabbatical because I was studying for biomechanics, which is not a sabbatical. (laughs) But it was a year for me to reflect on, okay, I, I knew basically I had understood that I wanted to be a general manager and I was a strength coach. So like, how do you feel in that gap? (laughs) <laughs> so I, I just, I went back to school as a vehicle for changing my path. And then Dylan Lawson comes in and we can kind of shift gears of like what I was actually studying in performance. So I was with the Astros 18, 16, 17, 18. And Dylan Lawson, who is no longer my current boss, he was just promoted to the major league hitting coach for the Yankees, but he was my boss for the past two years as a coordinator. He was a hitting coach with the Astros and he was doing pitch recognition training with basically training the eyes and training players to recognize pitches faster so that they can make better decisions. And if you're swinging at more strikes, obviously you're, you have a better chance, I should say, of hitting the ball hard. So half of the battle at the plate is just swinging at good pitches and not swinging at shit of the dirt, you know? Mm -hmm. So he was doing all this training and I thought, how was I a division one softball player? And I never even heard of this stuff. And he had a whole system around it. And he was implementing this with the Astros. And I was like, what is this? And I was so fascinated. And he basically said like, okay, here, read these 100 articles and get back to me. And I did, you know? And so this was all in the process of I'm going back to school. I wasn't exactly sure of my path or my research or what it, where I was going. And I started to invest time into learning about basically the eyes and the brain. And I also guided my curriculum towards that. And then eventually that led to me doing my research in eye tracking for hitters at driveline, which basically means they put on these eye tracking glasses that have little cameras that watch their pupils. And then an algorithm written by people much smarter than me computes through their software where they're looking. So you can see where hitters are looking when the pitch is coming. And as you can imagine, Higher level hitters have better strategies. So that just means they're able to focus longer. They may not blink as much. Um, Their pupils are more responsive. They track the ball longer. So, you know, keep your eye on the ball is a real thing. (laughs) So it just really helped me understand. Again, I I wouldn't even say vision. I don't say I studied vision. Um, If anything, I studied the brain, but the eyes are a vehicle from like the outside world to the brain, you know? So, that's really what I, I studied and how I transitioned into being a hitting coach. On top of that, I was also working with the Netherlands national baseball and softball teams while I was in Amsterdam doing my master's degree. So I was kind of already dipping my feet into getting to the cages and kind of refreshing my memory with a lot of the hitting stuff. But yeah, that's kind of the transition point to being a hitting coach. This concludes part one of our interview with Rachel Balkovic. Be sure to check out part two and to follow Rachel on Instagram at at rachel.balkovic and Twitter at at underscore Rachel Balkovic. You can also follow the Tampa Tarpons through the 2022 baseball season on both Instagram and Twitter at at Tampa Tarpons. 
Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production. Mm-hmm.